In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Welcome to America, the land of junk sleep, where it's bedtime, but you're double booked. Here, there's always one more deadline to meet, episode to watch, or meme to share. The world may not want you to sleep, but we do. Only the sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help you find the right bed at the right price. Unjunk your sleep. In-store or online at mattressfirm.com today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with... And there you go, I'm sure many of you filled in the blanks there. Me, your host, Dan the Viking. Say the same thing every week, just so it doesn't get boring. Uh, Well, it probably does get boring, but at least you guys know what to expect when you turn on my episode. You know how the first minute's going to go. So, we all know, I would assume, what this episode's going to be. Judging by the last two... We are going to episode two of our saga, although it is the third episode, but it is uh, number two. This is actually the second major assassination in the United States. Uh, The man who assassinated the 20th president of the United States, President Garfield. And that man's name was Charles Julius Guiteau, or Guiteau. I'm going to say Guiteau. If I, if I pronounce it wrong, we're going to have the entire episode of me saying Charles Gitto. So if I said that wrong, tough. I think we know that uh, what we're doing with these episodes so far. Charles Gitto is a bit of a strange story. Now, obviously we have had, we've covered two. We've covered John Wilkes Booth, the famous actor who decided to take Abraham Lincoln's life. And... The wandering loner commie who may have had ties to the FBI, CIA, Mafia, Communist Russia, Communist Cuba, Israel, or anyone else, Lee Harvey Oswald, the man who decided to kill JFK. Well, Charles Gateau is a slightly different story. There is a totally different motive. But we'll start talking about the man himself. Now, Charles Gateau was born in September 1841 in Freeport, Freeport, Illinois. Now, he was the fourth child to be born into the family, a businessman, Luther Gateau, and his wife, Anne Gateau. And they also had two more children after Charles. So again, so he was number four of six. Charles' mother actually died when he was seven years old. Now, again, this was very common at the time for families to have such large families, and it was very common for mothers to die quite young. And this was due to medicine and the fact that, you know, they were basically breeding machines in these days. Uh, 
Luther did later remarry, but his sister, Frances, was his older sister, Frances, should I say, was the, the woman who raised him, raised him from a child. She essentially became his mother, and she was the primary source for moral and financial support for most of his life. So not only did she raise him, but she she carried on her duty or her job after Charles was, was older. Now, again, a lot of times in sort of the, the 18th, 1800s, it was common for once kids sort of got to a certain age and left the home, they were pretty much on their own. Um, but obviously his his older sister, Frances, she did look after him um, later, later in life. Luther was a very stern father. Again, something that wasn't unheard of during these days. And a young Charles Gouteau received many beatings, verbal abuse, whippings, and had a pretty rough um, relationship with his father. Um, and it was something that he battled with his whole life. You know, he had this feeling that his father believed he was worthless and he had um, no real connection there with his dad. Because of this worthlessness he felt with his dad, he created this own sense of self-importance this own inflated ego that he had to compensate for the fact that his father and the connection with his father was was non-existent this type of overinflated ego plays a big part in his life and is one of the main reasons for the demise of president garfield charles gateau suffered many financial problems um, and he had a long history of bad business ideas, bad bills. He even spent time in jail um, and was constantly moving from one area to another, trying to stay one step ahead of his debtors and people trying to track him down for money that he owed them. He moved to Chicago and was staying in the YMCA where he met a woman named Annie Bunn. And in 1869, they became husband and wife. And during this time, Gateau was trying to make something of himself. He was trying to become a lawyer. Now, a lawyer, obviously, even nowadays, is quite a decent job. It is something that is definitely worth aspiring to. But his past practices slowly surfaced in his small legal practice. Charles's reputation and demanding creditors made his life impossible for him in Chicago. And the couple actually left and went for New York. And in a few years, Anne actually ended up divorcing Charles. And she divorced him in 1874. So they were only married for five years. And she used the grounds of adultery uh, when it had been known that Gateau had frequently visited prostitutes and contracted syphilis. Again, syphilis is something that is linked to Charles in a later time. Because for many of you, or for those of you who don't know, syphilis has that ability to change someone's personality um, and especially in the 17th century unfortunately for charles new york was not much better than chicago although now he didn't even have the financial support from his wife this caused a few problems for him and to make matters worse he still had this massive overinflated ego believing that something just around the corner was going to come on and he was going to make it big Unfortunately, creditors still trying to track him down forced him to frequently move. 
sometimes even in the middle of the night, to avoid paying his current room charges. Some of Gateau's creditors approached his brother John for a settlement, while John wrote to Gateau about the importance of paying off these debts. Charles would always reply, and there is actually a one of these letters that actually survived, and, and the letter says, this is from Charles to his brother, it put, find $7 enclosed, stick it up your bunghole, and wipe your nose on it, and that will remind you of the estimation in which you are held by Charles J. Gateau. Sign and return the enclosed receipt, and I will send you the money, but not before, and that, I hope, will end our acquaintance. This is what he sent to his brother, a brother who is trying to help him out. That was his response. Luckily for Charles, he did still have his sister, and after a brief stay in jail, he went to live with Francis and her family. But after a few months, Guiteau tried to kill Francis with an axe. There's no reason for this, just decided he would attack her with an axe. A local doctor who treated Francis's wounds recommended that her brother would be institutionalised. But before she could act, Guto fled again. Now, he's without a home, he's got no money, and his family pretty much disappeared. His journalistic and legal careers are now worthless, and to raise enough money to get by... Gateau began making speaking appearances to take advantage of popular religious revival meetings. He had no background for this. He really wasn't that successful and he didn't have the sincerity to successfully pull off this new image. He had to rely on credentials. Now, by the time he turned 40, none of his past efforts had accomplished what he felt his destiny was becoming and the important prosperity that he believed he was owed had not come to fruition. As a lifelong Republican, Gateau sided with the most conservative faction of the Republicans known as the Stalwarts. Now, Gateau wrote letters and speeches in support of their plan to put Ulysses S. Grant back in the White House. Now, at the time, Grant was running for a third time, so he would have been the first president ever. Um, and I would, I believe, if I'm right, I'm not 100% on US history, there has never been a president who's done three terms. I believe George Washington said two, two terms is enough for any man, and since then, nobody's ever done it. But Ulysses S. Grant actually did run for a third time. Unfortunately for Ulysses S. Grant, he was actually beaten by James Garfield, another section of the Republican Party, to win the Republican Party candidate on the ticket for president. So, Gateau had backed the wrong horse. He'd backed Ulysses S. Grant for president, but Garfield was running on the Republican ticket. But, being the man that he is, he switched sides. He decided, no, 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 I actually meant to to write my letters and everything in support of Garfield, not not Grant. And after Garfield won the election, Gateau believed that a little speech that he had given in August in 1880 was the only reason that Garfield won the victory. 
Without any logical proof to suggest this was possible, Gateau was certain he was now approaching the greatness he had sought after his entire life. He was certain that the Republican Party, and especially President Garfield, were forever in his debt for getting Garfield elected to presidency. Gateau then moved to Washington DC where he would be in a position to receive his rewards. However, as I'm sure you've all imagined, Garfield's administration just ignored him. Gateau nevertheless decided to allow himself to be appointed an international consulate and he began writing letters to that effect after his arrival in Washington. He actually wrote to President Garfield, Next spring, I expect to marry the daughter of deceased New York Republican millionaire. And I think we can represent the state's government at Vienna with dignity and grace. This is a letter he wrote to the president. He didn't get a response. Guiteau sent another letter, even more confident than in his previous. I called to see you this morning but you were engaged. I sent you a note touching on the Austrian mission. The current Austrian consul, I understand, wishes to remain at Vienna till fall. He is a good fellow, and I do not wish to disturb him in any event. What do you think of me for general consul in Paris? I think I prefer Paris to Vienna, and I presume my appointment will be promptly confirmed." Still receiving no response, Garfield began receiving streams of letters from Gateau to various government officials targeting the Secretary of State in particular. Another letter. In January last, I wrote Garfield touching the Austrian mission and I think he has filed my application and is favourably inclined. Since then, I have concluded to apply for the Consul at General at Paris. I spoke with Garfield about it, and he said your endorsement would help. So I will talk with you, and it is as soon as I can get a chance. There is nothing against me. I claim to be a gentleman and a Christian. Realistically, these letters were never going to get him anywhere, but he had it in his head that Garfield had seen these and the Secretary of State Blaine had already seen these and this was something that was going to happen and he may have seen the heiress mentioned in the first letter from a distance but it's doubtful that that Garfield actually read any of these it's almost like they probably ended up on his desk in fact if I'm honest with you they probably didn't even end up on his desk they probably just got binned obviously There was no response, and with no response from the administration, Charles Gateau increased his letter-writing campaign. So he didn't give up. He just carried on and carried on and carried on. Secretary of State Blaine received a deluge of letters from Gateau, and it was reported that on one occasion, Gateau approached Blaine and identified himself as the author of the letters. Blaine reportedly shouted to Gateau, Never speak to me again on the Paris Consul as long as you live. So, for someone like that, someone who's probably not 100% there in the head, hearing that this position has been given to someone else, and realistically, he was never in the running for it, 
he's shocked. You know, his overinflated ego makes him believe that actually he should have had this position and nobody else is capable of doing it. But, you know, he was completely, uh, just completely wrong. And it was around this time that he began concocting his plan to force the administration to take him seriously. Now, he would later claim it was God that told him to do this, but this seems to be a thing. Um, I, I don't know how popular it is in this country, um, but I I know in America that it's very, very common for people to say, well, God told me to do it. Um, it does happen in this country, I know, but as a, as a general rule, British are not as uh, religious as Americans. But anyway, on... Wednesday, June the 8th, Gitto purchased a British Bulldog 44 caliber five-chambered revolver with quite a fancy grip. Not really necessary, but it did have quite a fancy grip, and he paid $10 for it. So this wasn't the cheapest around in the, in the 1800s. This was qu- probably quite an expensive revolver for its time. And he practiced loading and firing the weapon. You know, he had a few practice practice runs. And during, during the practice session, he fired off 10 rounds. He was comfortable that he could load and handle the weapon. And he went back to his boarding room where he wiped the pistol dry and wrapped it in his coat and patiently waited for his opportunity. Four days later, he was sitting in Lafayette Park across from the White House and he noticed the president leave for church. Seeing how close he actually was to the president, Gateau returned to his room and unwrapped the pistol. He snuck it in his hip pocket and he would later state that he decided not to act on the earlier occasion because of his desire not to accidentally shoot someone else. His displeasure with the weather or the fact that Garfield's wife was with him and Gateau didn't want to cause her needless anguish. So he had a, a little bit of a heart. He didn't want to kill the man in front of his wife. On the morning of July the 2nd, 1881, after getting up early, Gateau set out to assassinate the president. Gateau waited for the president at Baltimore and Potomac Railroad Station in Washington, D.C., and the station was located on the southwest corner of the present-day 6th Street and northwest of Constitution Avenue a site that is now occupied by the National Gallery of Art. While waiting for Garfield to arrive, it was reported that Gateau has had his shoes shined, paced about the station, and asked the cab driver if he would take him to the jail later. As President Garfield entered the station, Gateau stepped forwards and shot Garfield two times from behind. The first bullet grazed Garfield's arm, and the second bullet lodged in his spine, but did miss the spinal cord. When Garfield was brought back to the White House after the shooting, various doctors swarmed around and offered conflicting advice on methods to save his life. Medical practice at the time did not include hygienic practices common today. Doctors put their unwashed and ungloved fingers into the wound in the president's back in attempt to find the bullet. As the president lingered in agony for weeks... Gateau's imprisonment did nothing to dispel his delusion that he had done something noble and he would be applauded by everyone. In the days before the shooting, he drafted a letter that he presumed would be widely published after his arrest and would result in his idolisation by all Americans. And it says, 
To the American people, I conceived the idea of removing the president four weeks ago. Not a soul knew of my purpose. I conceived the idea myself and kept it to myself. I read the newspapers carefully for and against the administration and gradually the conviction settled on me that the president's removal was a political necessity because he proved a traitor to the men that made him and thereby imperiled the life of the republic. This is not murder, it's a political necessity. He also wrote to the Civil War General, William T. Sherman, I have just shot the president. I shot him several times as I wished him to go as easily as possible. His death was a political necessity. I am a lawyer, theologian and politician. I am going to jail. Please order out your troops and take possession of the jail at once. So he was he was a nutter basically. Um he decided that his mission in life was to kill the president and and he genuinely believed he was doing the right thing and clearly <laughs> he wasn't because he's gone down in history as or the opposite of what he wanted. Garfield later died on September the 19th and it was suggested um modern day suggestions that had the medical knowledge now been available then that he he would have survived and pretty much it was the doctors that that killed him the inexperience of of what what they were doing played a massive downfall in Garfield's recovery. Um, Gateau was charged with murder and his trial began on November the 14th, 1881. And the trial actually took six months. Now, I find this crazy because the man actually admitted it, but it took six months nonetheless. And during the trial, it was revealed that Gateau had a letter in his pocket at the time of the arrest, which was addressed to the White House and dated July the 2nd, 1881. So it was quite a well before he, uh, he actually shot President Garfield. And Gateau stated that while the president's death would be tragic, it would reunite the Republican Party and save the Republic. And during this time, uh, he, he obviously received a lot of hate mail. Um, Gateau believed his actions had come directly from God, and that because they were directly from God, he would be freed. Once he was cleared of all charges, he would be given the proper praise for his heroic action. And during the trial, he addressed everyone in the courtroom by saying, I had plenty of visitors, high-toned, middle-toned and low-toned people. Everybody was glad to see me and they all expressed the opinion without one dissenting voice that I will be acquitted. So, this overinflated self-esteem that he's got meant that he was actually cocky enough to stand there in court and say to everybody in court that I've been visited by loads of people from all ends of the social spectrum and every single one of them believes that what I've done is the right thing so therefore you should believe that I've what I've done is the right thing. And it, it's almost impossible to put into words how how unbelievably bolshy you have to be to, to pull that off. But throughout the trial, Gateau insisted that Garfield died from complications resulting from the mistreatment at the hands of the doctors. Now, like I said, modern-day science and modern-day medicine has 
has pretty much confirmed yeah that that is kind of true you know that had there been better practices from the doctors president garfield would probably have survived but it doesn't take away from the fact that this man shot him twice so you know who actually killed him it was it the was it the gunman or the doctors who botched the operation afterwards well there's no two ways about that it's the gunman who had the gunman not have shot him he wouldn't have needed the doctors so it, it's a it's a hard hard sell that one trying to blame the doctors um he was equally adamant that he could not be held accountable since he was acting on god's orders and after months of testimony and countless outbursts from the defendant charles Gateau was obviously found guilty by the jury Despite reports from several noted doctors who were convinced that Gateau was insane and impassioned pleas from his family, Gateau was actually hung on the 30th of June, 1882. So, he was convicted of murder. I I will leave that up to you guys, because I think, I think nowadays you would probably say that he was he was insane i think when you look at the evidence supplied for it it was pretty conclusive that he didn't have a clue what was going on in his head however he just shot the president um so kind of does rule that one out a little bit um and also you know and this is going to sound a little bit out there and i don't i do not mean to offend anybody but he's saying that he heard God's voice. Now, I'm not religious, as many of you know, and very few people in this country are. As a general rule, um, our country leans more towards atheism now than I would say ever in the past. But don't all Christians believe that God talks to them in some way, whether they're Christians, Muslims, Jews, whatever religion everybody believes that god talks to them in their own way so by him claiming that god told him to do this does that make him insane or does that just make him religious and like i said i don't mean to offend anybody with this i'm not saying religious people are insane i'm just putting the question out there that is it a good enough defense for someone to say well god told me to do it to to get the insanity plea because technically every person who is religious believes that god talks to them in one way or another so i'll leave that one up to you guys and if i have offended anyone let me know because it's really not my intent to offend anybody with that comment um but after his execution Gateau's body was put on display for visitors he was then buried in a prison courtyard a few days later his body was exhumed and sent to the army medical museum where the doctor that had performed Garfield's autopsy examined Gateau. He was looking specifically for any medical reasons that may have caused Gateau's behaviour, so any abnormalities. He found nothing. There was no abnormalities whatsoever, and the assassin's brain was cut up and sent to other leading medical professionals throughout the country to see if they could find any clues as to why he assassinated the president again nothing was found now this could be because it was the 1800s and 
medical examiners didn't know that much then. Or it could be the fact that actually he wasn't insane. There was nothing wrong with the man and he was just hell-bent on killing the president. But to me, this is a story I knew nothing about until doing Lee Harvey Oswald and we now have covered three presidents that have been shot. I'm pretty sure most of you can guess number four. Uh, I think we know who's left, the one man who we haven't covered yet. The one man who, believe it or not, his execution video is still online. So stay tuned for that one. Um, I was thinking of covering the two presidents, or the two assassins, who shot American presidents but didn't manage to kill them. But for those of you who do want to listen to those two additional episodes, you will need to be on Patreon. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I am going to do two special episodes on Patreon uh, in the next few weeks to do with the two men who shot at President Theodore Roosevelt and Ronald Reagan. And believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, there have actually been 10 attempted assassinations. These two are where the president actually got shot. Um, But there have been 10 attempted assassinations on 10 different presidents and four that have been successfully carried out. So that's 14 in total attempted assassinations on presidents of America. Um, So we will cover those two um, on Patreon. I may go into a little bit of detail on the other eight um just just a little brief bit of detail on those because uh, i'm not sure everybody knows that actually there's been a lot of presidents that have been attempted uh, attempt assassinations um and then the next episode that goes on your on your feed will be of the fourth episode but the third president ever to be assassinated in office so i hope you guys have enjoyed this episode um, if you are interested in getting hold of the extra episodes, you will need to be on Patreon, ladies and gentlemen. It's $5 per month. Patreon.com forward slash This Week in History. Just join us on there. If you're not on there, join us on Facebook. Facebook is a great way to get your, your messages out to me, and you can do everything on there as well. And if you could, everyone listening to this episode can do me a massive, massive favor the biggest way to support my podcast, or one of the biggest ways to support my podcast, should I say, is to leave me a review. Go on iTunes, click the stars, whatever you believe that this podcast is worth. You can leave a little comment underneath, and I read out all of the comments. Good or bad will all be read out on the show. So if you can, guys, leave us a review as well. But thank you for listening, guys. Just remember, we all have history. Bundling car and renter's insurance with GEICO is so easy, your neighbors are probably already doing it. But who? Look for the signs. Chances are they live in a home and have a car. They use money and enjoy having more of it. They probably drink lots of lemonade. Mmm, lemonade. And they've probably said something suspicious like, I'm bundling with GEICO or stop spying on me with those binoculars. If so, you may want to ask them how easy it was to bundle with GEICO. Bundling is easy with GEICO. Just ask your neighbors. When you love riding a motorcycle, you want to ride it everywhere, even getting a dental checkup. Mr. Carter, wouldn't you prefer the chair? I'm fine on my bike, Doc. Well, let me know if you feel any discomfort. 
And when you love saving money, you want to save even more. That's why GEICO makes it easy to bundle your motorcycle and car insurance. All done, Mr. Carter. Remember to brush, floss, and lubricate your drive chain regularly. Kickstart your savings with GEICO Motorcycle. Bundle and save on the things you love. Great. Thanks for listening. Bundling car and renter's insurance with GEICO is so easy, your neighbors are probably already doing it. But who? Look for the signs. Chances are they live in a home and have a car. They use money and enjoy having more of it. They probably drink lots of lemonade. Mmm, lemonade. And they've probably said something suspicious like, I'm bundling with Geico or stop spying on me with those binoculars. If so, you may want to ask them how easy it was to bundle with Geico. Bundling is easy with Geico. Just ask your neighbors.